All right, everyone, let's do this. How are you? How are your peoples? Welcome to this week's episode of our podcast. It's called Is Breakfast Included? If you're new here, thanks for checking in. Go back and check out some of our older episodes. If you're a returning listener, thanks for sticking around. (laughs) On this week's episode, I sit down with my good buddy Cosmo Wilson. Cosmo's an LD extraordinaire. That's a lighting director. Uh, He works for some of the biggest bands at the highest level, and he's been doing it for a long time. Uh, If you listen to Cosmo speak, you see how much he loves this industry, how much he loves the people around him, and how much he loves positivity. And that's really what this interview was about, man. It couldn't be about anything better but positivity in this industry. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Let's check it out. I I did a few podcasts over the pandemic, and I enjoy them. I'm honored and I appreciate you asking me to do yours. All right, man. Well, let's get it started, man. Tell everyone who you are. Uh, my name is Cosmo Wilson. I am a, a lighting designer, lighting director. Um, I'm also known as the ambiance coordinator on tours because I love to tour. And uh, But for the most part, I've worked for classic rock bands for a very, very long time. And I continue to do so. And I will continue to do so as long as they continue to live. Right on. Right on, man. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll start off by saying this. For years, I heard your name. I heard Cosmo Wilson or Cosmo, my buddy Cosmo. <laughs> and and when I came on to Aerosmith, uh, I was finally just delighted to meet you and realized why everyone loved you so much. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I've been in the business now for, this is my 44th year in the business. So I've, I've, I've met a lot of people over that time. And I think it's very important to, uh, to, to, uh, be nice and to connect with people and uh, you know, you got to get along on the road. So I've got a lot of people that I love on the road. Yeah. I think that is the key element in, in what we do, man, is just to be nice, you know, simple. It, it's, it's too, uh, well, first of all, life's too short. Just be a jerk. But uh, like you said, we have to get along out there. You know, we're not going home with the fans. We're jumping on a bus with each other and, we got to coexist. So we went back and forth depending on where work was for him. Um, and I was going, I went to high school at one point in New York. I went to the high school of art and design. And uh, one of my best friends uh, who's now deceased is a guy named Dennis Yuri. And I had moved back to New York in December of 78. And I was looking for a job actually. Um, and he said that a band he was working with needed a drum tech. And I had no experience as, a, as any kind of tech. I mean, I played in high school bands. I played guitar. You know, I beat around the drums as you do, you know. And um, so I said, sure. Um, so I went and this band was called Falcon Eddie. Um, there was a television show called Rich Man, Poor Man. And there was a character named Falcon Eddie, like the Italian. But they made it Falcon Eddie, two names. And uh, so I went out and I, I did a drum check. First first day, day didn't go so well. I didn't. They didn't want to hire me, but I said, "Give me a chance." I, you know, let me learn the drum kit. So I went to the loft where they were rehearsing and I learned the the kit. And the next gig, I aced it and I was hired. And and it was funny after you know I worked with so many bands as a backline guy uh, back then. I was um, I worked as a guitar tech, keyboard tech, bass tech, uh, drum tech, uh, you name it. Um, and I worked for a lot of different bands, and that's how I got my start. So that you got your start in, in the back line, which is really, I always say we're the 
We're the last ones everyone thinks about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did you get into what you're doing now? Like, what was your first lighting gig? Well, I, I, you know, I, I was in New York for a while working for bands, and I moved back to Florida, and I started working. Um, I worked as a stagehand pretty much, and I worked a lot of different odd jobs with like a company that built sets, you know, um, like uh, show sets, and and I wanted to work down at the Lakeland Civic Center, which in the in the um, in the early '80s was the place where all the bands played. So I. Um, I, I I couldn't go. I couldn't even though I was working for the union. I didn't have my union card, and since it was a different local in Lakeland, they wouldn't let me uh, work at, at the local until I got my card in my local. So, literally, like a few days after I got my card, uh, which is in nineteen eight April of nineteen eighty three, I got a call to go down and work the Lakeland Civic Center show. Um, and so I went down, and I, th I think it was Kiss. I'm pretty sure it was Kiss. First concert I ever saw was Kiss in seventy six at the Lakeland Civic Center. So, so here we are seven years later and I'm a stagehand uh, working for Kiss at the Lakeland Civic Center. But that's how I that's how I got my start in, in the concerts. And the way I got into lighting is, um, I mean, I've told this story a lot, but I, um, I, as you know, on a load in, the, the, when the first trucks that come in, that they unload the boxes, then you push them from the back of the truck to the stage, from the loading dock to the stage. And I hated pushing boxes. And I noticed the guys that first went to work with the lighting crew. So, they would, you know, we would push boxes and trusses and dimmers in and cable boxes. And it, at some point they would start lifting, uh, forklifting the trusses up to the stage. And, and that I realized they would need crew to help put stuff together. Because, you know, after a couple of shows and load ins, I'd hear them say, we need a couple of guys on stage. I need four guys on stage to bolt together truss or to run cable or to put up the dimmer. So I would gravitate to the back of the stage. And the minute the crew chief said that, I would be on the stage. And uh, so I just started working for lighting because they were the first ones to start working. I mean, I worked for, you know, I worked for the audio department and, and the sets and backline guys and stuff. But uh, lighting, I just kind of gravitated to. And then I ran Trustbot the first time and I loved it. And, uh, and I just started giving my phone number out to guys that, that were coming in to get a, to get a job on the road. So, but light, that's how I got into lighting. What exactly is a Trustbot? You know, for those people who don't know what it is. Okay. Um, uh, well, spotlights, everybody knows what a follow spot is. They're usually out, you know, in the, in, the, in the house of the audience and they light the band from the front. But it's very cool to have a truss spot on the stage. And what they are is they're usually on the upstage truss and they're in the air and uh, they're a lot closer to the band member. But they look really cool because they kind of highlight and halo uh, their hair. And and, uh, and plus, you can see the beam cutting through the other light. So it's kind of a it's very rock. You yeah. know, so they, they, the operators, for all the spotlights in, in, in an arena, the operators are generally local crew. Um, so, um, you know, if I gravitated, uh, you know, I, I graduated from running trust spots to running front of house spots. So, but a trust spot, yeah, is, 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 is the actual spotlight follow spot that travels with the band and they, they rig it on top of the trust to, to follow the band around the stage. Mm. So that's, that's how you got into lighting. Um, when when was it what year did you actually start touring uh well i i worked for the lakeland civic center for um at the time it seemed like an interminably long time you know i started my first gig was in 79 and then i started working in the lakeland civic center in 83 and uh and in 1986 um what had happened is a, a several bands had come to the Lakeland Civic Center and it was the same lighting company uh, with the same crew chief, a guy named Gordy Barden. 
And he finally gave me the number to the lighting company, which is called TTR. And they were in Dallas. And uh, they were actually in the Shoco shop with with uh-huh. uh, with very light. And the guy's name was Richard Hartman. And so I got his number and I started calling him every week. And he said, you know, he said that they, they have tours going out. They were doing Genesis. And this is 1986. He says they were going to do Genesis and they might need me, need me, you know. And so I just I was relentless. I called him every week. Um, but what finally happened is he uh, he the, the Cure was touring the U.S. and they had two British uh, crew guys, lighting crew guys, but they didn't have work visas for them. So what happened is they they'd gone into Canada and they did, couldn't get back in the country. So all of a sudden they got deported back to Britain and they needed two guys immediately. So I was one of the guys he called and he called me. He says, "Can you be in Chicago tomorrow?" And, and you know they got me a plane ticket and flew me to Chicago and. And I, I busted ass. And the next thing I, I got, got after that, that led me to Genesis, you know, and, and that was yeah. my, uh, that's how I got into it. That was my first road gig. It was Cure in 1986. That's pretty cool, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was thrilled. I'll never forget being on a bus the first time. I was like, I couldn't sleep because I was so excited. Yeah. That was right there at the peak of their powers, too, the Cure. Oh, yeah. 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 I was very fortunate. I worked for a lot of bands in the early days. When I mean, I did the Invisible Touch tour in 86 and 87, which was the biggest tour. Um, I did the NXS tour in 88, which was the biggest tour. Uh, you know, I was very, I worked at Crowded House. I worked for Barbara Mandrell. And uh, that, so, yeah, it was, it was great working for all those big tours. You know, MTV was in, still in, you know, infancy, but it was huge. Yeah. So uh, you were doing lighting then. What What have you seen? Uh, since when you started to now, I'm sure there's uh, a mess of changes, but from when you started to now, like the, the lighting rigs and consoles and so forth. Well, I think the, I mean, the, yeah, that, that's, that, 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 that's the two. I mean, the one thing is an intelligent lighting, as they call it, moving lights. I mean, back in the early days, it was just park hands, you know, uh-huh. simple, you know, 1000 watt lights uh, that you put a, a color and gel in front of. You know, and they had ACL lights, which were, you know, long. Uh, I mean, they still have, have all this. You have to move them with a stick? Well, you, 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 <laughs> I would climb up and focus them. I mean, yeah, in Japan, they move them with a stick. In some places, <laughs> they do that. But generally, you climb up and you focus them. Um, you know, moving lights started coming in, I think, around 82 or 83. Genesis, is uh, they kind of, they didn't invent them, but they put a lot of money into very light uh, because they wanted them on their tour. So that was the advent of intelligent lighting. And then, you know, now there's tons and tons of lights. It's it's kind of a, everything's the same now. They're just moving lights. The bigger, they're brighter, they're faster, whatever, but they're all the same. But it's, you know, they're great. I got no complaints about them. But like you said, with the consoles, the difference that's, that's especially with the moving lights is you have all these different, with a moving light, you have all these different parameters. You have a pan and a tilt. You have color, gobos, focus, brightness. So all of a sudden you had, instead of like a park hand, you just turn on or off. Uh, you had all these different um, functions you could do on the light. So, and then you have a hundred lights and or a five hundred lights, and all of a sudden you have all it's 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 like a, you have all these functions and how do you control it? So the way you control it is with the console, uh, you know the 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 control desk. So with the new the newer consoles give you the ability to, to control a six hundred light show or a thousand light show. I mean some of these shows like especially television, broad you know not Broadway, but like big corporate shows they have, they have you know several thousand lights. And you can control them from one console because you have the ability to uh, uh, program looks and stuff. Uh, so that's the biggest thing that's changed is it gives because, I mean, my early days, I ran the conventional and another guy ran the, the moving lights. 
And then then they got a console got a little bit better so I could run both on the same console. You know, now I can run an enormous show, a stadium show by myself. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh a buddy of mine that 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 toured in the early days of of, of very lights, he said they used to call them barely lights because they barely work most of the time. <laughs> well, they had a lot of teething problems back then. I mean, you gotta imagine, you know, back I mean, you couldn't just go to the shelf and buy the parts for the for the lights you, everything had to be manufactured and in, in-house mostly you know i mean sure you had gears and knobs and certain things that you could buy in you know an electronic place but for the most part everything had to be made from scratch yeah have you have you ever had a uh a nightmare gig that that you couldn't control and well i mean you know there's this you know we've all had painful and difficult gigs i think the the worst gig i ever had was a was an acdc show and it was in ghent's belgium and what had happened is the opening act had played and they had uh they were the forklift was taking the gear off the back of the stage and bringing it outside to the truck and it somehow caught the cable the power cable that went into all the lighting and it pulled the ground and the and the neutral which just basically blew almost every single light in the rig up and so i basically had i had no control i mean there was no i couldn't control the lights because everything had been burned you know or shorted out so what we ended up doing is just turning on the audience lights and the band finished but it was it was quite a quite a nightmare right on show must go on right oh yeah acdc is like they were like we're like a train we don't stop right on um for anybody that knows you, man, knows how humble you are, but you've worked for some of the biggest bands, not some, the biggest bands around. <laughs> what was the first band you got a gig with that you had to take a step back and go like, wow, like this is, you know. Well, I mean, pretty much every band. I mean, I've been like I said earlier, I'm very fortunate that, I, that uh, you know, that, that I, I, I've been working. I work with so many classic rock bands and a lot of these bands. You know, I, I was born in '61, and so my 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 youth was spent in the in this in the late '60s and '70s and the '80s. So bands like Aerosmith, um, the Rolling Stones, I and mean, all these bands were you know helped my with me. They they were in my <coughs> childhood. So um, to, t- to to one day be working for them, even to this day, I'm still working. I'm like working for Aerosmith. It's just mind boggling to me. Yeah, you know, that that I that I work for these bands. Um, I think. You know, even The Cure, because I really like The Cure. Um, it had an album called Boys Don't Cry, and I love that album. Next thing I know is I'm working for them. But I got to say, probably the biggest thing, you know, The Stones was one of my favorite bands when I was young. I saw them in 1978 at the New Orleans Superdome, and uh, I was just blown away. You know, that was such a great show. Um, but so fast forward to 1989, uh, the company I was working with got the lighting contract to to supply the lights for the stones for the steel wheels tour which was a big tour huge probably their biggest i mean still one of the biggest tours they've ever done and i was one they had two systems so i was one of the crew chiefs but what happened for me is the a guy named sean richardson who was the ld at the time uh, the lighting director he left to do tina turner unbeknownst to me they were training me um to take over you know they would let me run songs here and there because the show was like three hours and he had he would drink beer and get up to use the port loop and so I would take over and run a song or two. And I did, I, they, they saw my talent. It was great. Patrick Woodruff and Sean both saw my talent. Patrick Woodruff was the overall designer for the Stones. Mm-hmm. So um, we go to Japan and, and uh, Sean's with Tina Turner. And I said to Patrick, who's running the show? He said, well, he says, we can 
shared duties on the first couple of shows. So I ran most of the first night and then all the second night. And then he asked me if I wanted to take over. So, so, you know, that was just for me, all of a sudden I'm running lights with the Rolling Stones. I was, you know, to the, even to this day, I'm just wow. you know, blown away. And have you got, uh, I, people ask me all the time, like, do you get to talk to the artists? And, and I always, I've been in the same gig for years. Um, I've done other gigs, but I've been, and I tell people all the time why I talk to my guy pretty much every day, whether I want to or not. Yeah. <laughs> but have you become friends with a lot of these artists? Cause I noticed you, you are, I mean, you're the go-to guy. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, as you know, and I think most people in the business know you, it's, it's a tenuous relationship because you're working with them. You're working for them. I mean, I always say with them, you, you, you but you're still an, an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you have to, there's a fine line between friendship and employee, you know, and Steven Tyler is a prime example. I mean, I, 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 he, I love Steven Tyler and I, I, uh, I am, oh yeah, we're friends and everything. Uh, but I'm particularly on the road when we're on the road, same thing with ACDC. I mean, I, I don't, I'm still working with them when I'm home. Like, like Brian Johnson, the singer for ACDC lives in Sarasota. I go to his house quite frequently, you know, and we watch stuff we were sports we have beer he barbecues he loves to cook and there's I, there, I there's two people there's brian johnson the singer for acdc this guy this you know iconic person idol to me almost and then there's brian johnson my friend and i and just like i make that separation i make that separation you know w- when we're you know when we're on the road especially yeah yeah so let's go back 44 years again um if you did not get asked to do to help your buddy uh, with Falconetti, what what did you want to do at that time? Well, I I think um, what did I want to do? Well, I wanted to be a rock star. Yeah, and I wanted to play back in bands. Um, what had happened is I was in high school and I I was I got busted for pot in high school and I got expelled from school actually. So I was kind of a like every good gonna... rock star, Cosmo. Like every good rock star. Like yeah. every good rock star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I was, um, I, I knew I wanted to be in the music business, you know, whether I was a musician or, you know, I didn't know I wanted to be a lighting. I never thought of light being a lighting designer, lighting director. Although I got to say, when I saw Kiss in 1976 and I walked into the arena, the first thing I saw was the lighting ring and that was the most impressive thing, you know, and I saw guys climbing the ladders to run the trust spots and I was just blown away by that. But I still didn't make me think I want to be a lighting guy. You know, I, I watched Ace Freely and I said, that's what I want to be. I want to be Ace Freely. Right on, man. Was that your gateway band, Kiss? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, they were the first band I saw. And, and you know, in 76, I was 15 years old. So that was very impressionable, especially with, I mean, they were the first band to do, I mean, you know, look at their show back then. The pyro, confetti, uh, the stage set, the, the lights. I mean, they were over the top. They they put on a show. Um you know, I liked, uh, I liked, you know, uh, I liked uh, Leonard Skinner. I loved Leonard Skinner. Um, I actually, uh, a story about Leonard Skinner is, is my my father. I have a half brother and half sister from Oklahoma, from Tulsa. They're actually from a city called Miami. Um, uh-huh. And Steve Gaines and Cassie Gaines, uh, who were in Skinner, Cassie was one of the honkettes that sent back up singers. Stevie was the newest guitar player. Um, so my brother and sister um, grew up with them. So uh, they played in Lakeland Civic Center. I think it was the third date of the show. 
uh, the tour and uh, I got to meet them. I got autographs and, and uh, got to hang out backstage. I mean, you know, and I was, I was, this is 77. Um, it, I mean, I was 16 and I was just, you know, blown away. Unfortunately, three days later, the plane crashed and it killed him and uh, killed Stevie and Cassie as well. You yeah. know, and uh, so that was heartbreaking. Um, but um, yeah, that that's, uh, you know, that's, you know, I I liked a I liked a lot of bands when when I was Beatles. I mean, you know, the Beatles I loved when I when I was when I you know I, that that's probably I remember that band more than anybody because my mom used to play them when I was really young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you a lot of a lot of cool things have happened to you. You you told me a story when we were when I was out with uh, when I was working for Aerosmith, and you and I were talking, and you told me a story about a building you lived in in New York, I believe, and. Uh, I can't remember which ball player lived upstairs. Oh, they said it. Um, um, Willie Mays. Yeah, Willie. I lived in a in a and I lived in Riverdale, which is a city in the Bronx. It's just right north of Manhattan, across the river. And um, it was a nice building. Um, I mean, you know, the Bronx was was you know not a great place, but that was a nicer part of the Bronx. And um, we lived in an apartment building, but it was there was two sides and there was two penthouses. And one penthouse, Yvonne DiCarlo. You know, from the Munsters, she lived up there because she was doing a big Broadway show in, in New York at the time. And Willie Mays from, uh, you know, he's originally on the San Francisco Giants. And then he he uh, moved, then he became a Met. Well, he lived upstairs. So uh, we um, I it's, it's, it's funny because you, you could go up there and knock on his door. I was told and I did this and it worked. Knocked on his door and he would give you an autographed card, you know, his photo card. And uh, and I had that. And, and a friend of mine brought over. Um, the who's tommy album and i traded the the card for the for the album because i thought i can get another card i'll just go up there and do it but you know i never did it but the funny end of that story is i found the same card on ebay a few years ago and i don't know if it's the same card or not but it was signed in red ink and i've never seen another card signed in red ink and that's what mine was so who knows so the guy might have sold mine who knows yeah did you buy it Oh yeah, oh yeah, I saw I hundred percent. There's a hundred bucks for the worth every penny. Uh I I follow you on social media. You're you're always posting of uh because you live in Florida, of course. So you get to watch all the launches when they happen. Is that oh, something yeah. that, that you're fascinated by? Is that a well I've always, you know, you know, going back to what you said, if I wasn't if I wasn't working in the I mean, you know, when I when I was a young very young, I wanted to be a first of all an airline pilot and then i wanted to be a fighter pilot i wanted to be in the air force i wanted to fly f4 phantoms so i've always had a fascination with airplanes and flight especially military i'm a big I'm, i love the military you know i, I love the, uh, the the military members the members of the military but i just love i love aircraft i love aviation i think part of it was uh, my, my grandparents had a place and they lived at the uh, near uh, sanford naval air station here in florida and the early, uh, they, they closed it in 68, but I mean, it was a very busy, uh, Navy base, uh, you know, aviation base. And so I grew up with planes flying over, you know, my, my home, you know, when I saw my grandparents. And so, I mean, maybe that had something to do with it, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm a, I just love airplanes. I love launches. I remember Apollo 11, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, eight years old when Apollo 11 took off. Um, I've always gone to air shows. I, I just, you know, I, I just love, love aviation. You know, right and on, as I man. said, I, I would be a fighter pilot if I wasn't doing this. Right on. Still can be. You can still yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> man, 
during the time when we weren't working uh, back in 2020, I missed a, a lot of things about this industry. I missed, um, of course, seeing my friends, seeing my road family. But one of the things I missed the most was was that morning when you get off the bus and you walk into an empty venue and that, like you said, they're setting up lights and there's trust everywhere and you just kind of take it all in. Uh, what keeps you doing this? What do you love the most about about what we do? Oh, the most. Well, there's a lot of things I love about what we do. I mean, personally, I, I love the travel. Um, I love the camaraderie. I think that probably the the thing I love the most about this business, and, and only people in the business know it, is there's not many people who can do what we do. You know, it, it's it's a, it's a badge of honor. You know, because we work really, really long hours. We travel really, really long distances. You know, we, we, um, we, we just do a lot of hard things. Um, you know, not, not, you know, I mean, we, we don't defy death or anything like that every day, but, but it's, it's a, you know, the old saying, the show must go on. Um, I mean, just think what we do. We get on an airplane and we fly overseas and we, you know, we, we load in these shows. I mean, the amount of trucks that we load into an arena. Put it up, do the show, and load out. I mean, people just are blown away. And I, you know, I look at what we do on a daily basis. But I really like that aspect of it. it it's there's it, we're a rare breed, you know, and and I, and, and that, so that it just makes me feel good that I can do that. And the camaraderie I have with my friends like yourself, and, and the things you do, and the, the relationships you you could you cultivate. You know, I I love um, traveling and seeing. I mean, since I was a kid, I've always wanted to travel and see other parts of the world and you know I, I used to have books that would uh you know talk about different countries and i've always loved history and i love meeting new people and and cultures and trying new foods um there's there's just something very special about that but but i i gotta say if, if the number one thing about what i love about what i do and, I, and i'll i'll give you a moment that, that, that this is i always use this as an example a moment in my life and my career early on when i started when i was working for the rolling stones we were in uh, Berlin. We were playing uh, the Olympic Stadium, and uh, it was you know sold out, of course. Uh, and this is this is about 90, sometime in 1990, and um, they were singing uh, "You Can't Always Get What You Want." And um, I put the audience lights up and light everybody in the audience. And I look around me, and there's all these Germans, and they're swaying and they're singing and they're smiling. And I thought, what a great gig I have to do something that makes people so happy. You know, and, that, and that's probably my, the biggest thing I enjoy is that we bring happiness to people. You know, we we bring so much happiness to people, people. And that's what I'm always trying to instill on in my guys and on the crew that, you know, it might be another show to you, but somebody's going to remember this night for the rest of their life. I agree. I agree. Uh, I can't agree more. You know, whether I'm having a bad day or not, like when that show starts, you see the crowd. Like you said, one person that may be the only show they see that year. Yeah. You know, and uh, you want to see him have a great time. I'm still a fan myself, which I know you are. Yeah. You know, like I, I look at it like, oh, I don't, I never carry that attitude that I work for so and so or I've done this. I, I think it's a privilege what we do. Oh yeah. And and I do agree with you. Not many people can do it. Like, I got into this business late, but you know, like you said, we live on buses, airplanes, and hotel rooms, and that's a hard life. You know, we spend more time with our co-workers than we do with our family. Yeah. My wife comes out on the road with me and she travels and she's like, I, I don't know how you do this. Don't, don't know, know how, how you do, do this. this every day in, day out. You know that I've I've heard the same thing. You know, it's it's 
but you know, we love it. Yeah, we're exactly. No, we're, we're, we're nomads, you know? Yeah, that's right. You well, know, man, it's, if a challenge. There, it's a great challenge that we do, you know, that's the beauty about yeah. it. We do it. Yeah, we do it day in and day out. But like you said, once those lights go down and that you hear that downbeat, yeah. it's it's worth every it's worth everything, man. You know, if there was anything you could change about your career, would you? Um, no, I mean, no, I'm I'm a, I I always, you know, I have a problem. Some you know, when you get offered more than one tour, you have to make the decision on which tour. And and I used to really, I spent a long time, but I used to. Um, struggle with the decision and finally i just said just just make the decision i have a saying it says there's no such thing as a wrong decision i mean it may be a bad decision but it's not the wrong decision um but and and i found out that you know whenever i've had a dilemma where i've got two or three tours going out at the same time it always works itself out something will happen and 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 i end up where i'm supposed to be so i I really go through my life not just with my career but everything with that kind of attitude you know not happy-go-lucky i still give consideration and thought, but I don't sweat and stress and worry over it. Um, yeah. I, I, um, you know, I, I know that it's going to work out and the right decision will be made. Yeah. Cause there is no wrong decision. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, I know there probably might not be much you can talk about, but this upcoming Aerosmith tour, can we expect a big production? Well, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is, um, they're calling it peace out. Uh, they want to, I mean, you know, they, we've been doing the Vegas run, as you saw, as you know, as you were part of, um, it, um, they, they liked that. The, here's the thing. When they went into that, they were concerned because it wasn't going to be their audience, which, you know, they call the blue, blue army. Yeah. Um, but they enjoyed it, you know, and, and the fans that came, I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, when they, when you, when Arizona comes to a city, they play, their fans come. In Las Vegas, it's the other way around. The, 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 a lot of people go there. It's a novelty. You know, hey, we're in Vegas. Let's go see Aerosmith. But, you know, everybody loves Aerosmith. So they, they even if they weren't their true diehard fans, they were still fans. And uh, they really, really loved it. I mean, um, you know, and I, I, think it, I think they had to work a little bit harder because it wasn't their audience. But that was better. That's what Aerosmith is. They, they want everybody to work harder and make it better. Um, so they, I think they, you know, what they, what they've been said, told me, you know, what Joe said to me is I want to bring the excitement of the Vegas show on the road, you know, and you yeah. can't really, Vegas is so different because of the glitz and glamour and everything, but there was still an excitement in that show. Um, and, and it was, you know, that, that, and so that's what we're trying to recreate. We're going to do a big production. Um, there, there, there's a, you know, ticket prices are, are expensive, but so is everything on the road now and people don't get how much more things have gone up for for you know for touring um yeah. you know but i think for the most part i mean the tickets are selling well people are thrilled that they're going to be able to see them you know we're, we're doing uh i think we're doing 40 40 dates uh, around the country and yeah. uh, people want more so i i am um, it's going to be a big big show it's gonna you know they they and the fact that they're announcing it as the last tour i i think that they want to pull out all the stops in many ways, you know, not only with the production, but with songs, uh, performances, you know, they still yeah. have, it. you know, they're, yeah. they're going to go up there and kick ass and I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Just, just touching on what you said about ticket prices. I think what a lot of fans don't understand is they, uh, sometimes they think that if a ticket costs $500, the band is pocketing yeah. that $500. It, you know, it, I, I read an article recently. There was a band called Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah. 
Yeah. Who just played their first show in several years, but just the busing, you know, just busing their tour was a couple of million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so well, uh, I mean, that's, the, that's the thing, the cost. And here's another thing that people forget, especially with Aerosmith. So the guy, like, this is the seventies band that are in their seventies. You know, um, it's, it's difficult to do, uh, overnighters or, or several shows per week. It's just, it's harder on the guys. I mean, Steven's, Steven's, you know, voice, uh, you know, like, like Steven's always said, Joe, Joe has a guy that changes the strings. He doesn't have a guy that changes his vocal cords. So, <laughs> so he, he need you know, the older bands need, they need a little more time to recover. And especially if they yeah. want to give a great performance. So if you're doing, you know, we're doing basically two shows per week and people don't realize that, that whether you're doing five shows or two shows, the expenses are the same. There's still buses, there's still crew, there's still gear you're renting, and it's, it's hotel rooms, you know, so that the the, uh, the overhead is quite expensive. And and then you add to that the pandemic. I think trucks used to be $5,000 a week. Now they're $15,000 a week. Yeah. I mean, you know, so that, you know, that coupled with, you know, with the price, you know, the, the, the swing in price from the pandemic and the fact that we're only doing two shows per week, and plus it's a big production. You know, yeah. it's that, that's why tickets are expensive. I think another thing that really infuriates me is people look at tickets and and like they have a it's called resale tickets and people don't look at they look tickets five thousand dollars. I'm like, well, the original ticket was four hundred dollars. It's a resale ticket. Make sure you read that it says resale ticket on it because it's not the band making that money. Yeah, you know, it's, it's whoever's selling that ticket. And you know what's happened is Ticketmaster is allowed people to scalp tickets you know so i mean everybody makes money off of that end of it but you know it's it's uh it's a, a lot different than it used to be and, and, uh, yeah gone are the days of the ten dollar ticket yeah well i mean that's the thing and, and most of the time you didn't see a band with a production you saw a band which would show up with the two trusses of lights and the a- instruments on the stage and then and you know yeah. back then especially they made their money from album sales well as everybody knows nobody sells albums anymore so no. the only way to make money is through touring. Yeah. Well, man, I, I appreciate you doing this really on such short notice. I just asked you last week. I've been wanting to ask you and and you're just so busy. So I don't <laughs> want to bother you. But uh, like, man, it, it's a pleasure to call you a friend. And said, well, and I, I, I came into the Aerosmith camp not really knowing anyone. You guys took me in. That was my poster on the wall gig. You know, those You're guys right. were and 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 I've met so many people that so many lifetime friendships there that I still talk to. And, you know, I love running into you on the road because you're always so positive about everything. Well, I mean, that's the one thing about me. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a very I'm just naturally positive, but, I, you know, I do obviously give it some thought. I mean, it's important to be positive, you know, and what we do, uh, we bring, like I said, happiness and joy to people and. And I, you know, I remember when I first went on the road and I had some of the older guys would show me, you know, the things in other, other places. And, and so I d- try to do the same thing. I really try to try to, you know, have the, have the new guys that come in, you know, I, I want to make them a part of the family and, you know, it all, it all, it, everything runs together when everybody's, too, you know, ha- happy and has, has a family. And, and the fact of the matter is we get to travel and do what we do is incredible. So I want them to take advantage of it and go see yeah. things and places and eat food and, and yeah. I have so many friends around the world because of that. Right on, man. Another thing, man, your trademark or one of your trademarks is your shirts. Yeah. <laughs> is that a, uh, did you deliberately say like, I want people to remember me 
My well, shirt. no, I mean, I mean, growing up in Florida, you know, Hawaiian shirts. I've I've always liked Hawaiian. I'm a beach guy. You know, I, <laughs> I love the beach. I've always worn Hawaiian shirts. And you know, when I was first on the road, I was a crew guy and I was climbing trusses and stuff. And you know, but I still had a few. I packed a few Hawaiian shirts for days off. But then when I became an LD and I wasn't, you know, climbing trusses and worried about getting it hung up in, you know, motors and stuff, I started wearing them every day and and people started noticing. And, and uh, you know, I always say um, my my shirts are like my lights, bright and colorful and cheerful. Right on, you know, man. My, right my on. shirts are like my personality, you know, bright and colorful and cheerful. <laughs> well, brother, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate your time. Uh, like I, my podcast, it's called Is Breakfast Included? Mm-hmm. This is the last question. If it was included, what would you be eating? Uh, if I, <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of people know my favorite food is lobster. <laughs> um, so um, lobster Benedict is, is, a, is a rare treat I get to have. But, you know, I'm also a Southern boy and I love grits. And uh, but, uh, but if I would ever be eating I, with you, I'd probably be eating lobster um benedict right on right on well cosmo again thank you man it's been good talking to you i appreciate you taking the time out to do this for me bernie it's my pleasure like i said it's honored it's an honor for me to be on your show and i appreciate you asking all right man well hopefully we'll cross paths soon yeah well i'm out with the hollywood vampires and aerosmith and i know you're out with duran so we'll uh we'll see um we'll see if we we will yeah yeah well if you see us in your area give me a call 100% 100% and vice versa. All right, brother. Thanks. Thank you. What did I tell you? Positivity, good attitude, just a, a great human being all around. Um, like I said, I'd heard the name Cosmo Wilson pretty much all my career to finally get to work with him and be on a crew with him. It, everything you hear about the guy is 100% true. All right, guys. I do appreciate you checking this out this week. Remember, is breakfast.bigcartel.com. Go visit us. Buy some shirts. This episode was brought to you by Old Bones Therapy. Go to oldbonestherapy.com. Order some compression sleeves, some ankle bra- ankle <laughs> ankle braces, and use the discount code breakfast to get 15% off. All right, guys. I'm done. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week.